Next week, we will begin our Holy Week experience. And, and what I want to do in today is sort of set that stage a little bit for you. I want to take you to a, just a jaw-dropping event in the life of Jesus Christ. And this was a moment that for us, when we read this story, when we get into this, this is a moment that really defined and, and kind of crystallized what Jesus was about when he came to this world. And so if you'll follow along with me in your Bibles in the book of John, John chapter 11, you're going to recognize this story. And we are definitely breaking in toward the end of the story. I'm not going to read it all to you today. But if you will, sometime this week, pick up your Bible and read John chapter 11. Because there's an event that happens here that we're going to look at again this morning. And this happened shortly. Just understand, this happened shortly before Jesus was finally taken and killed. It was shortly before he was crucified that this amazing thing happened. And as we read this, um, you're going to hear more about this in this lesson. But as we read this, please bear in mind that this is an actual event. This has been documented and written about, not just in the Bible, but by other people. So I'll get to that in a little bit. So as we are reading this, bear that in mind. We're going to get towards really the the pinnacle moment, the climactic moment of of this uh, thing that happened in the life of Jesus Christ. Verse 38, John 11, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. For some years now in our culture, there has been a gesture uh, that is called the mic drop. And this has been made pretty popular uh, when somebody drops the mic. Now, I will tell you, I'm old and I don't understand all of this. All right. But the best understanding that this old man can can gain about what a mic drop is. It is something like an exclamation point at the end of a statement. The term comes from when an entertainer, say a musician or a comedian, gives a great performance and drops the microphone because he or she doesn't have another thing to add. All of it has been said. All of it has been done. There is nothing to add. Drop the mic. That's kind of the idea, at least as I understand. Nothing to add. It is my opinion that Jesus had many of those nothing to add moments. And perhaps this is the biggest one. 
when he stepped up to the grave of his friend and he resurrected him, he had nothing to add. I know I preached about this to you right here in this church last year, but we are at this moment in our calendar where we're going to see this amazing, amazing moment. Can you even imagine it? This is a mind-blowing miracle. This is an amazing statement. And this nothing-to-add moment shook everyone who heard about it. Those who were present and those who were not, people were shaken to the core. This feels like to me an explanation point on all that Jesus said about himself. It was a moment that validated all the claims that he made about himself. He stood in front of the tomb of a man who had been in, a, in the grave dead for four days. And he resurrected him. And forgive the crassness of this statement because this moment deserves much more dignity than this. But just drop the mic because there's nothing more to add to what Jesus did. Jesus is Lord. Even death obeys his command. So let's just look at what this means. What this moment is about. Why this nothing to add moment is so important to us. Because again, I believe Jesus had a lot of nothing to add to this moments for us. This has significance because it substantiates the claims that Jesus made about himself. In the shadow of a statement that Jesus made just a few minutes before stepping up to the grave, he said to Martha, the the sister of the man that was raised from the dead, he said that he is the resurrection and the life. And who could argue the point after he raised Lazarus from the dead? There's just nothing to add. He stood in front of that gravesite and he raised him. He, He reversed the irreversible. He cured the incurable. He changed the unchanged. Who does this? Only the resurrection and the life. Just who he said he is. Only the way, the truth, and the life. Only the light of the world. Only the only son of God could have done this. Forgive the crassness, but drop the mic. Nobody else can resurrect the dead. Nobody has that kind of power but God alone. And he had been saying it all throughout his ministry that he was the son of God, that he is divine. And this is a moment that just substantiates it all. Who is going to argue after they watch this man walk out of a grave after he was dead for four days? That would kind of make all of us go. I just can imagine the moment. I I can imagine the moment when Jesus is standing there before the tomb. And he says to the people around, listen, roll that stone away. Let's make room for the dead man to walk out. And I can see the shock and the awe on the faces of the people when he says that. Wait a minute, Lord. And the sister trying to be polite says, listen, if you roll that stone away, it's going to be pretty unbearable here. I want you to understand something about what happened here so that so that we're clear. And I am not trying in any way to sound too crass here, but but decomposition had already began its work on the body. 
There is a preparation process that Jewish people in that culture practice. As soon as someone would pass away, there were spices and things in a preparation process of a dead body. That all had been done on Lazarus. He had been fully wrapped up in the linen, and that was something that happened. It was part of the process. By the way, it was the same process that uh, the friends of Jesus Christ did on Jesus' body when he was laid in the tomb. The exact same process had been done. So if you will, all of the prep work had been done. And Jesus stands in front of this, this, this tomb and he says to some people, I want you to push that big rock out of the way so that Lazarus can walk out. And, and the sister looks at him and says, Lord, there's an odor now. He's been in there for four days. One other little fact that I want you to understand. In this culture, there was a belief, and I don't know where it originated, but there was a a belief that on the morning of the fourth day, at the beginning of the fourth day, after a body had been in a tomb for four days, in the beginning of that day, they believed the spirit left the body for good and could not return. That was impossible. In other words, they were all the way dead. And so she points out to Jesus that, that decomposition has already taken, taken place, that there's going to be an odor here. Something gross is happening here. And Lord, if we move that stone, it's going to be unpleasant for us. And Jesus, in a powerful way, turns to her and he says, didn't I tell you, though, that if you believed in me, that if you will believe, that you will see the glory of God. And then he calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And folks, this is not just documented in the Bible. Lazarus walked out of that grave that day. Can you imagine being present? And forgive me for saying it again, but drop the mic because there's nothing to add. Jesus said that he was the resurrection and the life. And that moment proved it all. Amen. It substantiated everything. Everything that Jesus claimed is true about him. I have to tell you, honestly, on a personal level, I'm a bit dumbfounded when people don't believe the claims that Jesus made about himself. He performed countless miracles. And listen, so many people saw him perform miracles, not just this one, but so many. There were thousands of people present when he took a little boy's lunch. He took a couple pieces of fish and a couple pieces of bread and he fed a multitude of people. Thousands and thousands of people. 5,000 families he fed and then had bread left over. They were there. And you can bet that some of them documented it. Not just Matthew, Mark, John. Not just the people of the scriptures, but there were others. And this is a fact. You can find this. Historically, it's easy to find that Jesus was alive. And there are many, many witnesses. Witnesses to the fact that he performed miracles and there are accounts other than just the Bible that he did it. They put it in writing. And just so you know, we have validated as true many stories and many historical accounts with less evidence and less writing and less documentation. And we have said, no doubt it is true. One of those. I, I and, and to me, forgive this, because, again, I'm not trying to sound unkind, but people who doubt the veracity of these stories about Jesus and the claims he made about Jesus to me are very similar to the people who deny that there was ever a Holocaust. 
I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But I know for a fact that the Holocaust happened. Why? Because people who were there wrote about it. People witnessed it and they documented it and they said it happened. I'm just here to tell you even more people saw the miracles that Jesus did and they documented it and they wrote about it and they said this happened. I was present. I heard the words. I saw it. I watched. And some of them uh, watched Lazarus come out of the grave. It was a drop the mic moment. It was nothing more to add because Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He's the resurrection. He's the life. And he is the one who can raise the dead. And that's something that helps us today. If you're dealing with doubt, I'm just, I'm wondering what does it take to prove anything to you? Because if you're going to accept some of the other historical facts, which I do believe are facts, you weren't there, you didn't observe it. I don't understand why we say, I have to see him. He's been here. He's proven his existence. It's all been documented. Please understand that it's as true as the fact that I'm standing up before you is today. It's so substantiated everything. They were there. They saw it. Look at verses 45 and 46. Therefore, many Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You see, many present there believed by after witnessing uh, Lazarus' resurrection. For them, after that moment, for them, To see anybody stand in front of a grave of a dead man four days in the ground and call them back to life settled the question. I just have a sneaking suspicion that most of us would have gone, oh, yeah, he's real. Oh, yeah, that's power. And everything he says about himself is true. This is the son of God. He is who he says he is. It should remove our doubt. It should help us to understand that that's exactly who he is. Church, listen to me. No matter whether the Pharisees believed in him or not, from the Lord's perspective, there was nothing to add. Jesus had nothing to prove, and he didn't have to beg them to believe. He did all that he needed to do to prove who he was. There were plenty of people who documented it. They saw it. So frankly, no matter what anyone believes, there is nothing to add here. This moment substantiates it all. The truth is Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And no attempts to explain it away or come up with a scientific explanation as to some kind of coma or some drug induced something. It's just nonsensical when people try to explain away the miracles of God. Let's just. I believe this today because I'm telling you from my heart and I'm telling you authoritatively miracles happen. And and what a miracle is, is something that happens that man couldn't do if they tried on their best day. But God can do without even trying. And God did this thing. God raised Lazarus from the dead. No attempts to explain it away will take it away. Jesus is not a liar. He is exactly who he said. And just to be clear, a person who does not believe the claims that Jesus made about himself really is calling him a liar. Because Jesus either was the, the, the truth teller and everything that he said he was, or else he was a liar, or else he was insane, or both a liar and insane. Because he made outrageous claims for anybody who would be just an ordinary person. There's nothing to add. And this is an important moment because it demonstrates his dominion. Demonstrates the Lord's dominion. 
I still remember way back in the 1980s, uh, very early 80s, if I can, well, mid-80s. But anyway, I can remember a clear, beautiful spring day, and I had just gotten off of work. My brother and I worked together at that time, and I was a a part-time youth pastor at that time. And so anyway, we had gotten off of our job, and it was beautiful still, and he was over. And and this is just my brother and I growing up all of our lives. He's about a year and a half older than me. We always competed in everything. And he was always better than me. He was older. He was bigger and stronger. But we always competed. We always did stuff, and we always made up stuff. You know, if we weren't boxing, we were doing something, but we were always doing this. And, And one of us got an idea. We saw some tennis balls there. We got an idea that we would pitch tennis balls to one another, and I had a shed that I could pitch against, and it would bounce back. And yes, of course, once in a while, a pitch got away, and we hit each other. Of course, we did that. We're brothers. But we were, here we are, grown men, but about 13 years old in, in, in maturity level, and we're pitching to each other, and, and, and the other one's trying to hit a home run, you know? So that's what we're doing. And it was a beautiful day. The windows were open, and, and I heard our phone ring. There was, were no cell phones, to my knowledge at all, back in the middle 80s. At least I didn't have any. And so it was a landline. And I said to my brother, I better get that because my wife was at work. I didn't know if the car broke down or something. I ran to the phone. And I remember when I picked it up, there was a, a franticness on the other end of the line. It was my sister. And she called to inform me that my five-year-old nephew was riding this big wheel and rode right out into the path of a 16-year-old boy and was run over. It was nothing that poor boy could do. He wasn't breaking the law. He was riding through the neighborhood 25 miles an hour. And my nephew rode right down off of his driveway and he didn't see him. Came out between cars and he ran right over him. Minutes later, less than an hour later, my wife and I were standing in that room. Looking down at Derek's body. And the machines were keeping him alive. His heart was beating But I knew the moment I looked down on him that he wasn't going to make it. I could see it. And as a pastor, I thought to myself, I I have to pray. And I have to ask God to heal this little boy. And my wife and I stood there and held hands and I began to pray. And the Holy Spirit, I'm just telling you my experience. The Holy Spirit said to me, Ken, he's coming to heaven. He told me. And he's gone. And I can tell you at that very moment, I felt how weak human beings are. Because as I, I was a, a minister of the gospel. I was trained and licensed and all that at that point. And, and I was serving God and I had faith and all those things. And, and yet I had no dominion in that hospital room. I did not have the power to say to Derek, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Let your brain come alive again and live again. The reality was I don't have that authority and I don't have that dominion in in my own strength. The only way I would ever be able to do something like that is if the Holy Spirit directed me to do it and empowered it. It's the only way. As human beings, we don't have dominion over things like death. Death is bigger than we are. But I want you to know, my friends, that Jesus Christ has dominion over death. 
Jesus has that kind of power. He changed the unchangeable. He took a body that had been prepared and had been buried for four days. He took a body that was decomposing and he reversed it all. He reversed the irreversible because he has dominion even over death. Even death has to answer to him. Even the grave has to obey him. Before calling his good friend Lazarus back from the grave, he explained something to Martha. He explained to her he did not have to wait for the great resurrection day, which the Bible speaks about. He said, the thing is, I am the resurrection and the life. So since it will be him who one day will resurrect all of the living and the dead, he will call us up to be uh, to be judged by his authority and power. He was able to resurrect one on that day when he chose to do it. Why? Because he has the authority. He has the dominion. Did you catch my statement there? A day is coming according to the word of God when the dead, both righteous and wicked, John 5, 25, Acts 24, 15, will be raised from the dead because Jesus will call us all out of our graves. On that day, Jesus will resurrect all of the dead and we will all be judged. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. He has complete authority and dominion over even death. Folks, there are a lot of things and a lot of aspects of our lives that we don't have control over. A lot of things that we cannot prevent, change, or even put off. And I want you to know that Jesus has dominion over it all. I may not, but the God I serve does. And I praise him for that. It gives me peace. Jesus has all the authority and power to change or prevent anything he wants to change or prevent. Whatever is over you, my friend, is under him. Praise God, he has absolute dominion. And on that day, he stepped up to the grave of his friend and he showed it. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And I I like what one preacher said that I heard. He said, I believe that if Jesus would have walked into that graveyard and not specifically said, Lazarus, come forth, that everybody in the grave would have come out out of that their tombs and they all would have been resurrected. I believe that that's the power of my Lord and my Savior. He has dominion like that. He can do that because he is the, the, the one powerful enough to do it. He has all of the authority and the dominion to do it. But I'm so glad that whatever is over control in my life is ultimately accountable to the Lord. Can you listen to me for just a second? If there is anybody in this room who has ever battled addiction, I know that that has a controlling influence on your life. And I know it's not fun. And I know if you could choose to get rid of it easily, you would. I get that. I just want you to know that that is still ultimately under the dominion of Jesus Christ. And he can break the chains for you. He has the power to set you free. He has dominion over it. He has power over it. He can resurrect what's dead in your life and make you alive again. If you have a joyless life. I want you to know through Christ, you can have joy back again. If you have a lifeless life and you walk around feeling like you more resemble a zombie, I want you to know that there is a God who is alive and he brings abundant life into the life of people who trust and believe in him. He will resurrect what was dead and gone in your life and he will bring it back to life again. 
I love what 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to do. It's one of my favorite verses. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus was speaking of himself in John 3, 31 when he says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He's speaking about himself. He has dominion, people. And this drop-the-mic moment, if you will, this nothing-to-add moment... Uh, reminds us all of the fact I can step up to that which is dead and I can call it back to life again because I have dominion over it all. I'm even over death. I'm even over those things. And I praise the Lord. Listen, folks, death does not disorient Jesus. It does us, doesn't it? And all of us have been here probably. And if you haven't, hang on. You probably will be. There'll be a time when somebody you love, somebody very close to you will die and you'll lose them. And when that happens, it's terrible. It's disoriented. It can bring confusion. I've had to sit many times with people who have been broken because somebody that they love has just died. And as a pastor, I've tried to help them plan things like services and what's coming up. It's very confusing. It's very difficult to even think clearly. All we can think about is this person I love is gone. But I will tell you, it does not disorient Jesus. Mary and Martha were grieving and rightly so. And the people were there and they were in grief and rightly so. But Jesus was not disoriented at all. He wasn't taken back by it. He knew exactly what he was about and he knew exactly what to do. And we need to understand that that's true even when we have death in our lives that enter into our families. Death doesn't respect us. Death doesn't care about our schedules. Death doesn't let us choose. Death just decides when death is going to take. It is more powerful than we are. Death does not dictate the agenda to Jesus. Again, when somebody in our lives pass away, it interrupts everything. And I don't say this disrespectfully. It's right that we stop what we're doing and we memorialize them and all of that. It it. it it dictates the agenda. It, there are things that we have to take care of when a loved one dies. We just have to. Sometimes we have to travel. Sometimes we have to make arrangements. It, it dictates. It tells us what the agenda is. But I will tell you, it did not for Jesus. Jesus had his own agenda. And he changed it all. Death had its grip on, on Lazarus. But Jesus says, no, I don't think we're doing it this way this time. And he walked in and he changed it all. Because it doesn't have the agenda. Death doesn't in control. And on that last day, Jesus is going to have his say over death one last time. He did just a week or so removed from raising Lazarus from the dead. Death had its hold on Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you're not in control. This is my movie. This is my agenda. And he rose from the dead. And that's something for us to understand. Even death, as great as it is and powerful as it is, does not dictate the agenda to Jesus. And death does not have the last word with our Lord because our Lord has dominion. I say praise the Lord. That's good preaching even for an old guy like me. This nothing to add moment is important finally because it reflects to us the great love of God. Mary and Martha were hurting And who wouldn't be? They lost their dear brother and they were close. They lived together as adults. They took care of one another. And Zacchaeus, sorry, Lazarus was more than likely the primary breadwinner in the home. I'm sure that that was true. According to culture, usually it was the man who did uh, what was necessary to bring most of the income into a home. 
They cared for one another. They looked after one another. They were close. And they were close friends with Jesus. The Bible tells us these things. But Jesus didn't withhold his love from Mary and Martha. He came to them. He ministered to them and he comforted them and he blessed them. Even when they greeted him with the fact that they were disappointed that he had not shown up a little earlier. And Jesus didn't because he had something greater for them. Had he come and prevented the death, that would have been a wonderful thing. But Jesus has done that before. This time, Jesus had this nothing to add moment and he raised their brother from the dead. I think in the long run, they were glad Jesus waited. Even though they went through a lot, God had something better for them. I'm hoping that you're connecting the dots right now. Because sometimes we wait and we wait and we wait on God and we get disappointed on God. We say, God, when are you going to do something? When is something going to happen? And, and sometimes it feels like it's done. It's over. It's unchangeable now. All now it's, it's destroyed. My hope is gone. And just when everything seemed like it couldn't be changed, Jesus said, no, I'm still the king of glory. And my timing isn't your timing. And he stepped forward and he showed great love and compassion. He didn't scold them for not having faith. We all would have done the same thing that Mary and Martha did. Lord, I don't understand. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you heal? I had those moments with Derek. I prayed to the Lord. Lord, I don't understand. Why Why this five-year-old little boy? Why is he gone? I did the why thing. And I will tell you this because this is what the Holy Spirit reminded me of. He said, Ken, he says, Derek's having a great time right at the moment. He's loving heaven. He's with me. He opened his eyes in heaven. He's with me. And, and, and that helped me. I'll just have to tell you, that was helpful to me. I still remember um, when, when I met Luke. And I think I've told you a little bit about him, so I won't go into a long, detail story. I'll just share the, the highlights of meeting Luke. I, did, I was, uh, had a very good friendship with the funeral director in the town of the church that I pastored in Delaware. And we had a long-standing relationship and a long-standing under, understanding between us. Um, he, he loved the way that I ministered in funerals. And so if there were families or, or, or a group that needed a pastor because they, did, they weren't churched or they didn't have a pastor and they needed a pastor to officiate a funeral, he would call me and say, Ken, would you have time to do this funeral? And then I would meet with the family and I'd get to know them and we would plan the service and I would conduct the funeral services. Gave me a lot of exposure to people who didn't come to my church and I was happy to provide that kind of uh, service because I don't feel called just to a church. I feel called to an area. I feel called to a community. So I'm always happy to help in that way. So this guy, this, this funeral director friend of mine called me up and told me about this funeral and I conducted the funeral and the man who whose funeral I did was a motorcycle gang member and I don't know how else to say this to you he didn't live a godly life and just so you know I don't preach people in the heaven who I'm fairly certain aren't going to heaven I, I preached the truth and I was you know preached about the love of God and his willingness to embrace us when we're in grief and that kind of thing and I conducted the funeral the very best that I was able to do and sitting in that little little uh, funeral home that day was Luke and he was a fellow gang motorcycle gang member hardcore dude he was my age. I didn't know that at the time. I saw him, you know, the, the whole thing that you imagine in your head, the long hair, the beard, all that, the tattoos. He was the hardcore biker. 
And there he was sitting there, and I could tell that he wasn't overly impressed with me. And that was okay with me. I, I was there to minister to the family. But his girlfriend was very impressed with what I said or did, or as he called her, his old lady. And so on, on that following Sunday morning, and Angeli, Angela? Angelina, yes. Angelina, wow, forgot her name. Angelina was in church on Sunday morning. And I recognized her when she came in and I said, I, I, I recognize you. You were at the funeral. And she said, yes, pastor, I was. And I wanted to come hear you preach again. It was awesome that she came and we had a great church service that morning. Angelina came forward and received Christ as her Lord and Savior. The Lord ministered to her. She came to Christ and it was genuine. I could tell. I could see what God had done. He witnessed it in my spirit. On her way out of the church, you know that I stand at the door and I greet people as they go out. I greeted her and she says, I'm coming back and I'm bringing my boyfriend with me. And I said, okay, Angelina, I'll look forward to that. And a lot of people say things to pastors, and I was hoping that it was true. So the next Sunday, I watch her walk in, and she's smiling, and Luke is with her. And she's holding him, and she literally is dragging on him. He's not smiling at all. He came through the door, and I greeted him, and he sort of just glared at me for a second. I'm thinking, yep, I could be beat up here today by a motorcycle gang member. And he went on by me. He didn't say much to me. We had a wonderful service. The Spirit of the Lord came. Great things happened in the service, and he was coming on out. And I greeted Angelina, and she hugged me. I didn't hug her. She hugged me. And and this big, this, this, this buddy who would end up being my buddy, Luke's just standing there glaring at me. And I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm going to get beat up because I'm hugging this old lady. And so she hugged me and she thanked me tears down her cheeks. And I stuck my hand out to the guy. I'm just thinking, don't act scared. Don't act scared. I stuck out my hand and, and I, he, he looked at me for a second and he grabbed my hand and held it hard. You know, he hard stared me and he just squeezed down on my hand and I just let him do it. And then he said to me, he said, uh, preacher, I'm only here because my old lady made me come. And I don't, I don't like church. And I don't like being in church. And I'm not going to change for anybody. Don't tell me about your Jesus. And I said, good enough. And again, my name's Ken. What's your name? And he finally told me because he didn't even want to give me his name. I said, well, Luke, it's good to meet you. And I'll look forward to when she drags you back in here next week. And he looked at me. He wasn't happy with that. But I will tell you, God began to work on that hard, stony heart. And in two weeks, that man was up front. He accepted Christ. And he was gloriously saved by the power of the Lord. And I will love to tell you, give you a Billy Graham story and say, from that moment, everything was just all cleaned up in his life. But it wasn't. This was a motorcycle gang member, okay? He was hardcore. He did learn to like me when he learned that I ride a motorcycle. He thought I was just a weird little sissy man. But when he found out that I had a pretty good sized bike and that I ride it and I enjoyed it. He says, man, you and I have something in common. And I said, let's get something straight here, Luke. I said, there's a real big difference between you and me. You're a hardcore biker. I'm a motorcyclist. Motorcyclists wave to everybody. Motorcyclists will ride in the warm weather. If it's 40 degrees, I'm not on that bike. You're crazy. You'll be on there in the snow. I guarantee you've ridden in a snowstorm. He He started laughing. He says, I do it all the time, man. You know, he says, I said, Luke, I know about you and I'm scared to death of you. You're crazy, right? But we got to know each other. We became friends. We got to be able to talk very frankly to one another. One thing about Luke, and I love this about Luke. 
whatever he was thinking, if it came up, it came out. So you didn't have to worry about him telling you if he likes you or not. I like people like that. I honestly do. I can deal with it. It may hurt my feelings once in a while because he looked at me one day. He said, I can tell by the way you stand, you can't fight. I said, how do you know, man? And I tried to change my stance. You know, he knew karate and all this stuff. So anyway, we, we had a lot of fun with one another. And I will tell you, you know, just to shorten this story, Luke, God, God got a hold of Luke's heart. And Luke became a child of God. And he, he, he left his motorcycle gang affiliations because he knew he couldn't live in that anymore. And he began to connect with people of God. He became an integral part of our church. He and Angelina, um, I, I, when, when the relationship was where it needed to be, I put my arm up over Luke's shoulder and I said, I've got to talk to you about something important, my friend. He said, what? Angelina had come to me and said, you know, I want Luke to marry me and I want to live in a right way. I don't want to sin against God. And she says, just so you know, we've been staying separate, but we live in the same house. And I still feel guilty about that because we feel we both have said we feel like the right thing would be to get married. But he won't ask me. I said, let me handle that. (laughs) So one day we were out together. It was the 4th of July. I still remember. I threw my arm around Luke. and I said, when are you going to come to me with the news? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, Luke, when are you going to tell me the date that you're going to marry Angelina? Because you love her and you're going to marry her, right? And he said, why are you talking to me about this? <laughs> what did she say? You know, all this kind of stuff. And I said, look, man, you, you, want to make, you want to make things right with God. And he says, I do. And he says, I do love the Lord. And he says, you know, we're not sleeping together. I said, I know. Angelina told me you're in different bedrooms. I said, that's a good move. But you got a ways to go, buddy. You should marry her. Why aren't you marrying her? And I had the permission to talk to Luke like that. If I would have tried that right away, he would punch me dead in the face. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, he said to me, he says, I'll get back to you on it. On the 15th of July, I received a frantic call from Angelina. And she said, Pastor Ken, Luke's had a massive heart attack and he's been rushed to the hospital. He was at work. And he was working and he got overheated and he collapsed. And I raced to get to the hospital because I wanted to beat Angelina in case it was bad news. When I got to the emergency room, I heard the screaming. And I, I went to the triage nurse and I recognized it was Angelina's voice. And I, I told them who I was. And I said, I really need to get back there for her. They let me go back there and I got to outside the room where he was laying he had passed away and she is on her hands and knees and pounding on the floor why why did you take him he took him he took him and it took me a long time to even get her to look at me and I was trying to talk to her and comfort her and at that moment wasn't the time to preach a sermon I just hugged her I prayed with her I helped her get up I helped her leave the hospital eventually but for weeks and weeks and months Angelina every day woke up with that question. I prayed. She said, Pastor, I prayed so hard. Please don't take Luke from me. Please don't let him die. But he let him die. He didn't come when I needed him. He didn't do what I asked him to do. And how can he say he loves me? And he took Luke away. That, that, those were the statements that she was making. And those were the statements I had to walk her through and, and help her understand. And one of the things that I said to her about Luke 
I said, listen, Angelina, I need you to know that there's not a day that goes by that I don't really miss Luke. Because I saw him a couple times a week. He was my buddy. And I said, I really miss Luke too. But I do realize something. I said, and I learned this lesson. It was a hard lesson some years ago. That the moment that Luke closed his eyes in death and no longer could open them here on earth, he opened them up in glory. And I said, you need to understand, Luke doesn't want to be here. Luke is with the Father. Luke made it. He's in heaven. He's with Jesus. And I promise you, Angelina, he loved you. But he's where he wants to be. And we talked through some of that a little bit. And eventually, God healed Angelina's heart. And I just want to say something to you. There were moments when Angelina thought the Lord wasn't there, but the Lord was there. And the Lord gave her love and latitude, and he allowed for her questions. He even allowed her to say, God can't love me if. And, and she revealed something to me uh, after God had healed her up some. She says, oh, pastor, I have something to give to you. She gave me a couple of Luke's possessions, a nice motorcycle jacket and a shirt. And if you have a shirt that says old guys rule on it, that's one of my favorite shirts. I love that old shirt because it, it was Luke's. But anyway, she gave me a note. Luke had written down the date that he was going to to. Um, they set the date that he was going to marry Angelina. And on that note, he says, officiant. Pastor can do so. I was going to get to do their wedding. And he was, she told me later, he, he was waiting to come home so he could call you up and ask you to come to the house so he could tell you that he, is ask, he asked me to marry him. I have the ring. And so I praise the Lord for that testimony. And all that I'm saying to you about that story of Luke, I want you to know that the Lord never withheld his love. Even in those moments when when Angelina didn't know and was questioning God's love, it was there. You may be in a place in your life and you just wonder, how can God say he loves me if? Why is this happening if God is a loving God? You may have those kind of questions. I just need you to know that really that moment when Jesus called Lazarus from the dead was a nothing to add moment. I'm going to say this and I don't mean to insult you or hurt your feelings. But here's the fact. The fact is he loves you. And there's nothing to add because he died for you on Calvary. That was another huge nothing to add moment. He died for you. He took your sins away. How much more love could he give than to give everything he was up in order to suffer on your behalf? He loves you. Drop the mic. He loves you. He doesn't withhold it from you. He doesn't love somebody more. He loves you. And I need you to know that today.